Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Today we're going to talk about secession planting because we haven't talked about that. <laughs> we, no. we mention it from time to time, but I don't think we've had an episode on it really. So we're going to talk about that today. But how are you doing today, Rachel? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Things have been a little bit wild. We had a little bit of a family emergency, but things are settled down now and we're back on track trying to catch up all of the garden stuff like succession planning yeah i got some of that going on yeah what what else yeah. all you've been doing on your homestead besides that <laughs> well i've been planting lots of plants well not plant seeds i planted a bunch of seeds this morning to replace when it gets hot my lettuce goes to seed and gets yeah. out bitter and that's one of the ones i probably most commonly do and then and then some fall crops i started those and will be cuz Fall comes kind of quick around here. I know some of you people in the lower states, you're like fall, <laughs> but here September, we can get we can start getting frost. So believe it or not, we're kind of halfway through yeah. the growing season. Here. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. How's the how's the drought treating you up there? Oh, we got rain finally, glorious rain. Yes, we got kind of. So it's interesting. My my rain gauge, I have. One, I need to get a second one because it says we got almost two inches of rain. Wow. And it seems very wrong. Like, yeah, we got a bunch it too. It seems off. Yeah. But we got a lot and we needed it. And I actually, I don't have rain barrels, but I did line up a bunch of five-gallon buckets along our eaves. And I collected a bunch of that. And I've been watering some of the inside plants because, you know, that rainwater is just, I don't know what it is. It's special. Yeah. Makes <laughs> it's makes special a garden stuff. explode. Yeah. Yeah. So I saved some of that. Uh, and then, and I've been weeding, so the weeds loved the rain too. They loved it. <laughs> but they've been doing pretty good, even through a drought. At least in my yeah. place, yeah. Isn't know. that crazy? Even the, a crazy like, year for weeds. Yeah, my worst weeds are probably crabgrass. I think that's the yep. one I probably a lot of grass coming into mind. And it doesn't well. matter how horrible yeah. it gets out, how dry it gets. That stuff just seems to grow no matter what. Yeah. So. I got a lot of lamb's quarter too popping up everywhere, which yeah, I like too, but it seems like it, it, I, I obviously last year, I must've let some go to sea cause it's, it's yeah. everywhere. I mean, I've got, yeah, so that's it. last night I had a big salad with, I forgot to add lamb's quarter, but I put in nasturtiums for that little bit of spice. Yeah. And then I had, Oh shoot. Purslane. I used a bunch mm. of purslane that I had weeded out of one of the garden beds and i've been um, making some fancy salads out of my garden i've been doing the yummy i've been doing all the different greens the chard and the kale and the lettuces and and then i've been adding things like the sugar snap peas and a little slicing up some radishes and putting in there just just a little bit of everything i've been making some really nice fancy salads (laughs) yeah and oh and then this week I've had to move my schedule around a little bit because I was going to do some stuff outside and we've had horrible smoke from the fires from Canada. Oh, yeah, it's, it's hitting us so, down here too. It's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. It was just so hazy. The air quality was really, really bad. And yeah. so we didn't do a ton outside the last couple of days, but I had lots of stuff inside to catch up on. And now, uh, I seen you were day. putting the, the filters on your fan and your box fans. Yeah. Is that working uh, out pretty good? It did work really well. So we have, we have like air purifiers in our bedroom, but they only do like just the bedrooms and Mm -hmm. we were smelling smoke even in the house. So I, we have two box fans and I went and got just some 20 by 20 filters at the local box store and um, furnace filters. And I used some bungee cords on those. It is amazing how much it cleared the air up. So we had two of those running on high trying to, keep the air quality good. And those look like just regular furnace filters, nothing fancy. No, they were just cheapy cardboard. I I put two on there. (laughs) So there was the really cheap one that was like a buck. And then I had a more expensive one, which still wasn't super expensive. It was like, I think it was, it was on sale, but it was under $5 for both of them. But the first one is just to catch the dog hair. <laughs> I bet. I, yeah. I bet if, if a person spent a little bit, was really sensitive to that and they wanted to spend a little yeah. bit more, maybe get a HEPA filter, like when the HEPA yeah. furnace filters, yep. those would probably work really, really well. Yeah. I had that read out, that. So. That's so that's our yeah. air purifiers that we bought. We bought very nice ones several years ago because we have allergies and asthma mm-hmm. and those are HEPA filters with charcoal filter. And then they have blue yeah. light that, sh- that will kill mold. Oh wow. It has like yeah. this blue light thing in it. But those those filters are 
really expensive. Yeah, yeah. But I've those seen are just, just for our bedrooms. We, we use the ones that are HEPA for our furnace, for the furnace builders. They're, yeah. I mean, they're definitely yep. more expensive. They're not crazy, but probably three or four times the cost of the cheaper ones. Yeah, now they that, are. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I they're think they would it. work really well, though. Yeah, if you were having a big issue. So, and they were yeah. telling people to use their air conditioning. But what happened mm-hmm. was the smoke blew in and we also got the cold air, like the Canadian cold air. So it was only 55 yeah. degrees. So right. Yeah. It was cooler here, too. Yeah. So to use the air conditioner when it was 55 degrees, I suppose we could have turned on the heat. But yeah, we just used the those little filters. Yeah. It worked pretty good. Nice. Yeah. I had a busy, busy week around here as well. Last couple of weeks, really. I got, I've been getting really into the com, compost tea mm. brewing. So, I, and I've been putting in some water barrels because this draft, anything, this draft woke me up to the fact that I never yeah. have enough water storage. So I have actually opened up a couple. I had a couple of the 275 gallon IBC totes. And I've actually set those down to where they're all catching water off the one end of my barn on a trough. So on the other end of the eve, I, I set a trash can. I think it's about a 50 gallon. I don't know what the exact gallons okay. is on it. It's a, it's taller than a 55 gallon barrel, but it's not quite as big around. So I don't know what the size. I'm thinking around 50 gallons probably. And I'm going to use it to collect water, rainwater also. But then I also set it up and kind of made a little quick conversion out of it to where I can go back and forth and use it to make to come. To, to brew compost oh, tea out of. Yeah. So I'll catch rainwater when it's full and when I'm not using it for a while, I can maybe once a month brew up a big batch of compost tea. And that's that's enough. I figured out yesterday because I actually did it a couple of days ago. And then it was a perfect amount to cover my whole property. Like I went around awesome. and watered my entire property with that compost tea and got a good, give it a good drink of it. And that worked out really, really well. So I figured about once a month, I'm going to be doing that. Through the through the growing season, yeah, it's, and, uh, I saw pictures of that. On, yeah, yeah, it was Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah, I, I can't on Instagram. wait to see how this works for you. It, it sounds. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things. It's really hard to. Yeah, measure to see. It's really hard to measure. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, you just have to kind of. I think it's just something over time. Mm-hmm. Your soil gets healthier. You probably see yeah. a lot less disease issues, stronger plants, things like that. You just notice gradually probably but yeah i've been really focusing on that because i just don't produce enough compost actual That's compost so hard on our so properties. a good way around that is produce take that compost and make a good compost tea and then you get a lot more bang for your buck right so that's been something i've been really concentrating on lately and i don't want to bring in fertilizers outside fertilizers and i yeah. don't really want to be getting into buying compost i want to right. make my own so this is a good, this is a good option. This is a so, great solution for yeah, small properties. Absolutely. And also it was garlic harvesting time. Have you been harvesting any, any garlic yet? I pulled one last week and it wasn't quite ready. Yesterday I went out and dug around yeah. the outside edges, trying to peek without disturbing it. I think I'm getting close. Maybe next week. I started seeing people in my area posting some pictures of their garlic har- harvest. And I was like, oh. It's that time. I guess I better go look. And I, I pulled by. a couple out and I went, yep, they're ready. So I went in and harvested all my garlic. I saw that here. picture too. Now yeah. are you, you're hanging I got some at, hanging in my gazebo out here. <laughs> it looks like you're hanging it on like one of those metal shelving. They are. They're the racks. That, I thought like that was the, a great idea. Yeah, I, I had I didn't have any more because I took some fence and I got in my barn. I've got like right. the fence and I've got dropped down to like the one by two fence and I got dropped in there. Well, then I had those two, sh- it's those white shelves you buy that you can make yeah. for like, they're like for utility rooms or whatever. Yep. And I basically just hung those from in my gazebo and dropped it through the slots on those and hang it up like that. And it worked really, really well too. It, it yeah. I'm like really thinking good. to myself, I have some of that. Yeah. It's, and they're, <laughs> sturdy, they're, they're pretty strong. They're heavy duty. So they don't, the problem with using fencing is you got to kind of secure it in several places right. because it'll bow down and yeah. bend and stuff's rolling up on you. Those are solid. Those yeah, actually and this is like that shelving better. that you can hang on the wall. Yeah. It's not a shelving unit. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the stuff you hang. It's just the, just the shelf pieces by themselves, the wire shelving, but they're really heavy duty. And yeah, they, they were are. great. I just dropped it down through there and they're hanging up and, and, and they're kind of up in the ceiling of my gazebo. So they're going to be dry, but they're going to get enough breeze through there to, to dry out good. And yeah. That's I'm, cool. That's a good idea. I'm, so I'm, I like that. So I'm I'm waiting for those to dry and then I get to, then I get to do my braids. I like to braid my garlic. Yeah. So. That looks, I didn't. So 
last year I braided onions, but I didn't braid my garlic. I ended up cutting off my garlic and I never thought to braid it. So I'm excited to braid mine yeah. this year. It I just like, looks I like, so cool. It's you cool feel, just to hang it up, find a place in your kitchen to hang up a, a braid of garlic. It's you just feel so cool. homesteady when you do it that. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, There are probably even better ways to do it, store it. But you know what? Probably, Nothing but, looks as good as the braid. So we're going right? with the braid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I, it, I think that's just the whole compost thing that you're doing, the compost tea. I just think it's great for our smaller properties, but I also think it can be done so simply, it sounds way more complicated than it is, but after reading about it and seeing you do it and because yeah. you're doing it, adding way more than I am. So you, you inspired me to go buy my bubbler and mine's on my way here, Yeah, but it isn't really that complicated. I guess I was, no, I mean, I'm definitely complicated. Add a lot more than just compost. I mean, I'm actually yeah. putting worm castings in there. I'm putting some comfrey leaves in there. I'm actually adding some liquid kelp and some fish emulsion and some powdered mycorrhizae inoculant. And I'm, I'm actually making a brew, a true brew. And then I'm you yeah. know putting that in the property and it's just, yeah, it's kind of, I've been just going through a lot of, of the teachings of, I've been reading the, which we'll get to in a minute, a book that right. I'll talk about. It's really opened my eyes up to that. And then I've been two courses that I've taken have talked a lot about it. Plus I've just been look, been putting a lot of study into the work of Dr. Elaine Ingham and right. what she's been doing with that. And, and she's, she's, I mean, this is not just like people think this does good. If she gets the microscopes out. She looks at what this is doing. She knows what's in her soil. She knows what is in the tea, what it's producing afterwards. She even looks to see what she needs to be like. There's some different kinds of brew, which I don't want to turn this into a whole podcast on that, but there's some different kinds of brews you would make. So you check your soil, you know, that you want more fungal, you need more fungal activity than bacteria activity. So you might make a brew that's more fungal. That's going to feed the fungal instead of the bacteria, vice versa. You could make one that's more bacterial focused than fungal, or you can make a balanced one with both, which is what I did. So it's just, I mean, it's, there's so much science to it, but you can really create an awesome yeah. soil. You know? And you can just do it. Like, see, I was making anaerobic without the bubbler yeah. and you're getting really into it. And that's really cool. And I, but I'd also don't want to <laughs> stop anybody from doing it if they just want to do it simply yeah, i'm just going to toss a bubbler in a bucket with some comfrey all the things you did yeah i might get a five, i was doing it in a five gallon not. bucket yeah yeah I mean, and i've and been doing it with a five spread. gallon bucket up till this point but then i i thought man this is going to make a perfect i can do this all at once and when it was time to spread it i didn't have to even dip it up in buckets i dropped my sump pump down in there with a garden hose attached to it that was long enough to reach all the way around my property. And I just flipped the pump on and I went around and just sprayed it on everything that I was growing, all the trees, the shrubs, the garden spaces. I mean, I just put it everywhere. And, right. and, and so I just really wanted to inoculate this property with a good compost tea. And right. I did. And you have the book that you're going to recommend has recipes in it. So why has don't you go into in what book you're Yeah, let's you're jump into our books about. here. The book that I'm recommending today is... And I think I've talked about it online a few times in places is teeming with microbes, mm. the organic gardener's guide to the soil food web. I don't, is it Jeff Lowenfels? I think is how you pronounce his name. And I'm Wayne Lewis gonna, yep. are a couple of the authors. <laughs> it's a, it's an awesome book. If you don't have this book on your shelf and you're a gardener, get this book on your shelf and then get it in your hands and then get it in your mind because there's just so much yeah, value. And that it. has like. The recipes so people can go, okay, how's Harold doing this? I, I tell you what yeah. I really like about this book is the first half of it pretty much is like a high school biology book. And what I mean is it wants you to understand the reason you're going to do things. It wants to teach you about the things that are in your soil and what they do for your soil and how it produces the micronutrients that feed your plants. And They just make the connections. It really helps you understand the connections. The second half of the book is the practical end of the book, where it tells you how to feed that food soil web, how to make good compost, how to make good compost tea, what you need to add to your soil and what it will do for it. And it's the practicals of it and how to apply it and all the things. And so it's it's just a great and it's not a giant book. I mean, it's it's a couple hundred pages and but it's just packed with goodness. It's just a great book. And I've been spending a lot of time in it, reading it. And then on top of these courses and stuff I've been taking, that's just been dumping all this stuff into me. But that's where it really began was with that book. That book is great. So 
that's one one for the shelf there. It's the 101. <laughs> it's even a little beyond 101, but it's definitely okay. one that's it's I own it, but basics I don't know. and beyond. Yeah. It's been a really long time since I read it. I believe when I read it was probably before I was as into well what I am right now. I've so. got a bad habit of buying books and then not jumping into them for quite a while. So it's yep. been on my shelf for a while and I haven't really dove into it. And then I got into it. And when I was taking starting one of these courses, they mention it. Ooh, I should go look at that. And then I'm like, oh wow. It's like I went down that hole and then I ain't never came out yet. <laughs> and now see, now that's what you've done with me is you've gotten me enthusiastic about, <laughs> oh, that needs to be the next one I'm at. My problem is is I have so many books. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. And I bought several recently and I'm still sifting through that list. Yeah. I'm trying yeah, to spend a lot more time, a hard time one by one. Yeah. And that's why I like living in a an area where I have four seasons because I can take my book time in more in the winter. Yeah. To, Speaking of four okay. seasons. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> your book recommendation. <laughs> so my book for this week is Four Season Harvest by Elliot Coleman. And I own several of Elliot's books, but this one has to be one of my favorites. I have read this and out and actually underlined and highlighted in this book. I just love it. And, and it's perfect for today's topic with succession planting. And yeah, he's my, that's my favorite of his books also. Yeah. It's really good. And he, he actually has a good YouTube channel too, but he, he grows year round in basically the same climate that we're in. Yeah. He's quite closer to your climate than mine. Yeah. yeah. And when I say year round, he's not growing tomatoes. He's growing Um, something though. Yeah. He's growing something though. Like usually like radishes or greens, especially in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. But he kind of is the master of growing having something in the ground all the time season extension he's yep. very good at yep. it he's got a lot of yep. methods and he talks a little about how he does it and he works the stuff that really is applicable and it works to grow yeah. stuff so around. it is yeah. a really good book if you don't have the finances to buy one almost all live i've seen it in so many libraries our library it's, has it's a, been out for a while i don't know when that book came out but it's been out oh, for quite some time mm-hmm. and it's it's yeah, it's yeah. a great book. Yeah. It's been out for a while. I want to say he and he's got a couple other ones too on market gardening. The first one that came out was in 1992. Okay, so, so it's been out for that. This is a sign you're old when you hear 1992 and it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but then you seems start doing like the yesterday. math and you're like, whoa, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that's like 31 years ago. And I'm like, yeah. man, really? Yeah, yeah seems so. like it wasn't just that. Yeah, a few, yeah. Just a few years ago, 1992. <laughs> And what's interesting is a book that you have recommended before, which was the Nearing's book. Oh, shoot. What's the title? The Good Life. The Good Life. The Nearing's were one of his neighbors. Yeah. And and the Nearing's mentioned him in his book. So there was a lot of really cool stuff going on in that area of the country where they were living. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's my pick for this week. Two, two great books that folks should have on their shelf that will help you be a better gardener. Both of them books are just full yeah. of just great stuff that will help you grow a better garden for sure. So yeah, and Elliot did all sorts of crazy stuff. Like they lived, they would go to the coast and get seaweed and clam yeah. shells and put them in their garden. Yep. So just really that, that closed loop list system. And then like you were talking, he was just feeding the soil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it takes. And yeah, Elliot is definitely a master of, of succession planting, which we're going to talk about today. Market gardeners in general, that's what they do. Yes. Yep. I mean, market that's what market gardeners, gardeners do. You're succession mm-hmm. planting. There are a few different things people mean when they say succession planting, and I've used it that way too. I think of different things when I talk about succession planting. The most common thing that I succession plant that I when I'm thinking of succession planting that comes to my mind is my lettuce. Yeah. How I grow lettuce because yep. I grow, I plant, I stagger the planting of my lettuce. I have a bed of lettuce and I grow a row here. And then two weeks later, I plant a row here and then I plant another row. And I have like three rows going in this little four by eight bed, right? And then I will harvest off this row for like two weeks. And then this one, and then I pit. So then it's, it's done. And then I replant that row and I start on the next row harvesting from it. And then by the time I get to that, Third one, that one's ready to start harvesting from again. And I just got yep. this constant rotation yeah. and that works really good, especially with lettuce yeah. all summer, because what happens when you leave lettuce too long in the ground in the hot weather, it bolts and it gets bitter and yes. you can't eat it. So you constantly have pretty fresh lettuce. And sometimes I even have to pick if it's really, really hot and really, really dry. I might have to pick up the pace and go every week 
and pick it even younger because it's bolting within two weeks. So I might and have to even do it summer. Quickly. That's what you, yeah. Yeah. And you can do that with all of, all of your greens and then you can, in the shoulder times, mm-hmm. you can do some of the colder greens like kales that like it more, but that's kind of, that's very similar to what I do, especially with lettuce, just because yeah. like you said, with summer, if you want you, to eat lettuce every day, yeah, you kind of yeah. have to do And that. it's just, it's kind of the one that, that I'm most commonly doing that that method with now there's also another method of succession planning that what i'm kind of dealing with right now i just emptied out two whole beds when i harvested my garlic and then i've got one where i harvest my radishes they're they're actually sitting out there empty right now i got to put something in those i don't have to but if i'm going to succession plant i want to right because i want to keep more crops coming in i don't want to waste that space i want to use that and grow something else. And there's plenty of crops you can plant and got plenty of time to grow again mm-hmm. and get another harvest out of it. Maybe even a couple of crops, depending on what you grow. I mean, I could put radishes in there right now and in 30 days, harvest right. those and then do it again with radish. You could actually do the same crop over and over and over if you wanted to do that, or you can grow different things, which is probably what I'll do. I'll probably get another thing of cabbage going, probably get some more broccoli and cauliflower going. Yeah. I mean, I, I love my brass cabbage today. This morning yeah. was part of my I, push. Yeah. I'm probably just about three or four weeks away from harvesting the cabbage that I've got in the ground yeah. right now. So I'd like to have some for the fall. So yeah, there's that kind of, of succession planting. There's actually a couple other kind of succession plantings. Also, there's actually taking the same kind of crop, but different varieties and planting them in a bed together because your different varieties might mature at different times. Yeah. That's, that's a kind of succession planting too. Yeah, because harvest, like, it can be say harvesting a tomato or an early potato or something like that right. and have them planted kind of in a row next to each other. So you're going to harvest off this row now because this one's going to be ready, say 20 or 30 days before this one's going to be ready. And then this one pops up that you can get a lot of the same food throughout the whole growing season. Right. But it's similar. It's a little bit different variety, but something similar. Yeah. And so when you buy your seeds or your plants, it will say on there how many days to Mm -hmm. maturity. And it is amazing how just like cabbage can have Mm -hmm. this wide range of how long it takes for them to go from seed to maturity. Yeah. I have a couple of different cabbages. No, I think I have, I have three different kinds of cabbages and I chose those one of them because it's good for fresh another one that is because it's good to store yeah and another one because it's really good for kraut mm-hmm. and they all have different maturity rates yeah yeah so that, you can, that's a good and, way to keep that coming but not have is. to plant something different in that bed yeah yeah and but that's how for people that are new to this that's how you would you would do that and is you would look in the book when you're ordering your seeds mm-hmm. and stuff, it will tell you the maturity dates till maturity because some of these plants, it's just a really wide range for even corn or yep. corn is oh, one yeah. that that's, a lot of people a, do because, yeah. Um, yeah, cause they want to do the same thing. So maybe you don't can and you just want it fresh all the time. You just want that fresh mm-hmm. sweet corn. And so people will plant several plants, several rows of corn, and then they'll plant it again so they can have yeah. it ripe all summer long. I did that I, last year. I had yeah. like three different varieties out there. And yeah, they all three grew, came in at different times. Yeah. yeah so you can really have well. corn, you can have corn in July, and then you can have it in mm-hmm. August, and then you can have a little bit in September. And then maybe you can have a dried corn if you wanted to make some corn flour, yeah. whatever. But these, that's kind of why people do this. And because you have small properties like we do. Well, we'll get into the re- we'll get into the benefits yeah. of it here in a minute. But there is a well, there is actually one other thing that sometimes people mean when they say succession planting, which I would actually call intercropping, not succession planting. Okay. But a lot of people will use it in that term that way, and that's planting two completely different kinds of things in a bed, and then what one of them will mature, and then you can harvest it before the other one really starts taking off and taking it over. Yes. I did that this year with my squash. I had, I have some yellow squash and zucchini in the same bed, but then I planted radish between them. Of course the radish was ready. I've already picked it. And now the squash leaves are completely taken over. We covered up the entire bed. So I got the radish out of there before that happened. And it was a type of succession planting, but it was intercropping. Now intercropping can play some different benefits. It can be just for harvest 
times, but it can also be for beneficial things like insect control. You mm-hmm. can plant trap crop, trap crops, or just things that might draw in benef- beneficial insects. There's things that you might plant that will be for suppressing disease or things like that. I mean, there's a, re- we, there's a whole bunch of reasons. A whole you bunch of reasons. Plant. Yeah. But yeah, that it's some people yeah. would call I that. I did that with plant. garlic and carrots. So by the yeah. time my carrots start to get big enough for me to have to worry about the garlic, I'm going to be pulling garlic here in the next week. And then those carrots can take over that bed. But I did it for the fact that the deer don't like the garlic and the deer have been coming in and decimating my carrots Great <laughs> and the idea. bunnies Yeah, yeah. and the bunnies. So oh, don't get me started on a bunny. I had uh, one out but here. But they haven't, they haven't touched my carrots this year. And I think I it's think, because I planted them with that garlic. So hopefully the once the garlic you, is gone, I don't have issues, but we'll see. Yeah. I think the last time you and I talked, I think I mentioned something about a rabbit and uh-oh. but i'm like oh he's overeating my chart i got so much chart out of all the chart he wants well about half of my pepper plants got bitten half by this rabbit and now i'm oh. not so happy i was okay <laughs> oh, with no. it when he was eating my chard but now he's ruined my pepper plants and now we got problems so that might be a problem that has to get yeah. dealt with we won't get into that on this episode I got but deer fence up yeah, because of the deer, oh, but I they, it's not great at keeping out rabbits. Oh, yeah, I, it's I really to, hard to keep out rabbits. It really is something. He he, yeah. he ruined about half my pepper crop. It looks like so. Oh, now I'm going to have an God. issue with him. Couldn't just be satisfied with the kale and the and the the chard. He had to go for the he had to go for the peppers. <laughs> you just got the little Peter Rabbit in your garden there. Yeah, he's he's tearing it up. So anyway, back to things. What well, generally though, what we're going to refer to, I think, in this podcast, when we're talking about succession planting, is the the two kinds where you remove everything in a bed, plant something new, or yep. I mean, I didn't plant the same thing or plant something different, or the row, row by row rows. and rotation of succession that way. So those are generally what I refer to when I'm talking about succession. Same with me. The last one, like you were saying, I consider that intercropping. Yeah. Intercropping. And then the one, the one with maturity dates, I do that, but I don't know why. I guess I don't really think about that as a succession plan, but it is. I mean, I guess I just don't think about it. I don't really don't practice that much because generally I don't plant too many different varieties together of the same thing. But I could, and it is a way that you could do succession planning. And it does make sense because you're getting that stuff at different times. So I I can definitely see that being referred to as a succession planting as well. Do you have trouble saying the word succession over and over and over? (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard word to say. Like, am I saying it right? I keep saying it over and over. And it's like, I keep feeling like I'm messing it up anyway. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the, the importance and benefits of succession planting in the garden. You mentioned one a minute ago and I said, we'll get into that in a second. It's so productive, It is, especially when you're on the small plots. Well, it's the market garden method, right? You rip it out, replant, rip it out, replant. It's just over and over and over. It's, it's what it's high production and we like it. (laughs) Well, and the other thing I like about it is we spend a lot of time trying to make our soil amazing to feed us. Mm-hmm. And if you're using smaller gardens, it's way easier to build that really good soil. But if you're mm-hmm. spread out over several acres or a couple of acres, even it's harder to do that. So if you do this method and you use this succession planting, you can have smaller beds and produce just a lot of food still. Yeah. So for me, it's and, there, and there are some challenges that come with that. We'll talk about later. Yes. I don't want to talk about them yep. right now. There are some some there things is. you have to pay attention to when you're doing that. But yeah, that there it is. It's I, it does maximize your garden mm-hmm. productivity for sure. I mean, you're going to get. Yeah. I've been doing it since the beginning. I mean, when I first put in my first raised bed, I mean, I started just keeping it loaded all the time with seeds, nice. or even quicker, you can just have constant. Uh, plants being you could have seedlings going in there constantly and get a quicker return but yeah you can get a lot of production out of a i mean you take one four by eight bed and it's amazing the amount of food you can get out of it by doing succession planting yeah and i mean and and there's things that you can add to it but we can talk about that later yeah too. for sure something else i i reason i think succession planting is really good is it covers the soil constantly yeah which um, is huge. We hate bare soil, hate it. It's not good for your soil. It's not good for the life in your soil. It's not good for the texture of your soil. It's just, it just, and it's not good for a lot of reasons. It's, it's going to dry out your soil when it's bare. It's going to not retain moisture as well, which is good for the life in the soil. So if you can just keep things growing in there and you know what, and, and if you don't plant something in there, mother nature will, weeds are going to start coming up. Yep. 
So I think it's great for protecting soil as well. Planning though for succession planting can be a little bit of a challenge because you do have to think ahead. Like I said, I got two beds out here empty right now. Now I've got to put something else in there. What have I planned for? What One of them, I know what I'm going to put in there. The other one, I'm like, hmm, I didn't plan that one out. <laughs> so I, I do have to think about what I'm going to put in there. So there are things you have to consider, your climate, your growing season. How long is it going to take the next thing to grow? Like you mentioned earlier, you got to pay attention to those days to harvest. What you're going to see on all the seed right. packets is days to harvest. Some things as low as 30 days, some things 120 days. I mean, it go, it's all over the place. And it's different varieties of different kinds of things. So you have to figure up when's when's my first frost date likely to happen. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to be planting watermelon or tomatoes right now. But you can plant some squash. You can yep. plant some beans. You can plant yep. some radish. You can plant a lot of leafy greens. You can plant. There's a lot you can succession plant that a grows ton. pretty quick. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Even, yep. And a lot of root vegetables, beets, turnips, radishes, all these things grow pretty fast. 30 to 60 days on some of these new things. New potatoes even. I yeah. might not get full-size potatoes, but I could get new potatoes. if I Yeah, and there's some the different varieties right there that will grow yeah. quicker, early potatoes and things. Yeah. So there's things you can do. That you have to just do some homework there and try to understand your climate, your seasons. And then you also have to consider, are you able to extend that season? Can you put yeah. down row cover and make it longer and even get another, maybe a third season out of it, depending on where you live? Yep. It, it, like for me, it's like I used row cover in early spring to start early. And then yeah. if you can use some row cover to go late, you can get three, four plantings out of some beds. Yeah, you can you know, extend on, on it. I mean, things. there it's quite possible, especially, I mean, you, Elliot Coleman does this masterfully, but it's quite possible even with in a small garden without a greenhouse with just row covers that you could get three to four weeks on each side of your easily. season. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. And in the right crops. I mean, I'm not going to yeah. be growing tomatoes out in my garden. You in could March, start with spinach early spring, yep. get you spinach, a spinach crop. Kales and yeah. I mean, radishes. Easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And then you could end it with kale, which will go right into snow and then be picking it. You can end with something <laughs> like that. And, I mean, it overwinters even here. Yeah, I'm, it does here too. I have kale too. in my garden from last Thumb year and I'm too. zone five. So, yep. It sure can. So you yeah. can go right into that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to kick the snow off of stuff and eat it, pick it, need it. Chard is like that too. I mean, my chard's like oh, bulletproof yes. too. I'm knocking snow off it and ate it. Now, if it get a, we had that really hard freeze this last year, this last winter. Oh, yeah. That's nothing. Nothing. Gonna, yeah. I, I did have some kale sur survive it. Did you really? It killed the chard though, dead. Yeah, I mean, the it was brown. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, you add those things and you start thinking about feeding yourself or even growing some greens, extra greens, if you have layered chickens or rabbits or anything. I mean, yeah. you think about extending the season like that and how much healthy food you're providing for yourself. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's worth the investment. I have some, some row cover. It's probably... If you take decent care of it now, yes, it does get ripped and stuff on and off, but I think I have some that's three or four years old. That's still good. Yeah. I don't cut any holes in mine. I just set, I, I use the hoops and then I set rocks around it and stuff instead of poking yeah, holes through it. I had a it, couple I of mine helps. get yeah. tore just with use, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they last quite a long time. I, I usually try to keep good care of them, but I use, I use little wire hoops so mm -hmm. they're not sharp. But the only thing I find, the only time I ever tear mine is it seems like I, they'll catch on the corner. If, if I, I have some raised beds and I'll use it on the raised beds also. And sometimes it catches on the corners of the raised beds when I'm moving yeah. it and that'll rip it. When I use them out in the, the in-ground garden, yeah, that stuff seems to hold up really good. But I there. just love it. I'm using it right now on my yep. cabbage beds, my cabbage, yep. my brassicas because yep. I was Me having too. problems Same with place. pests. Yeah. So I just couldn't keep that white, the flies and oh, yeah. blobs those, and stuff those, out of there. Yeah, those ca cabbage moths are horrible. So it has multiple uses. They, it does. Yeah, we kind of moved into that, didn't we? <laughs> oh, that's extension. fine. Yeah. Yeah, it does come in different weights. What do I say? They call yeah, it different weights, weights. I guess weights. Yeah. yeah. Thickness, so there's thinner. Yeah. If like right now, I'm using thinner because I'm only using it for pest. Mm -hmm. But in in the shoulder seasons, when I say shoulder seasons, I mean like your spring and your fall. When you're worried about frost, you're gonna want to get the 
the heavier. I, I, I kind of use a middle of the road one and it, and it, I, I just use it all season and yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't seem to cook anything, which I'd only put it on my brassicas and it actually seems like it shades those pretty good. I've never had I it. I feel like it does too. Yeah. I've never yeah. Really had it. And what, issues. what weight are you using? It's the middle one. I can't really remember. Yeah. I, mine is I a remember the thickness I'm of using it, but. I'll put, a, I'll put a link to it in the yeah. show notes, the one I use. And that's the one I use kind of all year. Now, if you were yeah. down south, you really couldn't use it. I'm sure it would cook probably, your stuff. Yeah. You could well, probably you use it early spring shade. and late. I yeah. mean, and we could even talk about that, like shade cloth. I do have some shade cloth yeah. that once in a while I'll put over my lettuces. but the And it comes in different widths. If you have bigger hoops, my hoops mm-hmm. are pretty small. I probably need yeah. to get bigger hoops because I'm growing. I'm trying my second hand year at Brussels sprouts. And so my hoops are going to be Yeah, those take some those take some time to grow and you're up in Michigan so it probably does. Yeah, I started pushing a the long limits. time ago, long time yeah. ago. Yeah. But um yeah, those are but yeah, mine is 5 foot wide. You can get it much wider, much much wider just depends on the size of your hoops. And you can make hoops. I mean, I've seen people make them out of So so there are some things you're going to have to plan for when you're succession planning. So you're going to have to consider when to start things out there, when to get things your first thing yeah. going. You're going to have to look at your your days to maturity, your harvest times. You're going to have to look at if you're able to extend the season on both ends. You're going to have to look at something we'll get into later, which is soil depletions and how to keep take care of that. You're going to have to look into the layout itself, like where I put my lettuce or some other leafy greens. I, I'm taking advantage of of microclimates. So some other things may not do good in that microclimate if I go to plant it there in a succession. So you have to plant things that will grow good in the area also of where you're planting that. So the space you're growing in is something else you have to consider. So often when we start putting our garden plans at the beginning of the year in, we're just thinking about this initial plan, this initial planting. Yeah. But we really ought to include a a continued year-long succession planting as part of that plan when that comes out, what's going in? Am I going to have it ready to go in as seedlings? Am I going to direct sow it as seed? How quick is it going to grow? Am I going to have to consider doing something with the soil in the in between those times? I mean, there's just a lot to consider. It's a little bit more to the planning, but the production that you're going to get out of your garden is going to be so much greater that it's worth doing. It absolutely is worth doing. Yeah. And a book we've talked about before, Jesse Frost addresses this a lot yes. in his book and in all the market gardening podcast, books. Do. Yeah, the market gardening <laughs> books, if you they really address the the soil fertility and keeping yes. the soil well fed. So they will pull a crop and then they will feed and then put the plants back in or put seeds back in. But that is how these guys do this on the small. Because some of these guys are doing this, some of these guys are doing spin farming and they're doing it in several different lots and then they take it to market and that's how they keep all of that coming all summer yeah. long. And, and you know, you, you're growing this. something that doesn't take a lot of like say lettuce doesn't take a lot. Yeah. I mean, you could, I don't even do anything other right. than I'm spraying yep. my compost tea or adding a little compost occasionally to it. Mostly I'm just spraying my compost tea on it. They're, it, not, heavy they're, feeders. they're yeah. not heavy feeders. They're not going to deplete the soil. If you got something pretty heavy feeder, your brassicas are pretty heavy feeders. Yeah, you're probably going to have to dump something on that soil, get feed that soil pretty good before you plant the next thing in there. Yeah. Um, especially if you're going to plant another row of, now, if you're going to plant, say lettuce in there with, as a secondary crop, you probably not, but if you're going to replant brassicas, you're going to have to feed that soil in between planting. So it is the things like that you have to consider. Yeah. I would say well, lettuce uh, is the easiest one to do this with is, and it's probably the most common for the home gardener just to yeah. keep that salad coming all summer long. Sure. Yeah. But you also have to think about things like crop rotations too, because some yeah. invite pests and disease, things like that. So you might want to not put the same thing back in that bed and move it to another location and practice crop rotations on things that are prone to disease and pests. I take squash, for example, you get your squash bugs right. and things. One of the best things you can do to reduce the level of squash bugs you get is to get it in a different location because they lay their eggs in the soil or they lay their eggs on leaves or then they, those yep. live bugs though, they get down in the soil and they hibernate where they're going to come back up right there. If them leaves are right back there for them to hit again, it's there. They're going to exactly. hit them. Yeah. You know? And you just want that confusion the best for the bugs. Move it to a completely <laughs> different location on your property, not even a different bed, but just a whole nother location. 
So it's something else to consider in your succession planting, because that is one of the things I succession plant is my squashes. I mean, I might have a, I'm going to have an early like yellow squash and zucchini, yeah. and then I'm going to go to a more like a butternut or something like that for a later fall harvest. So I'm just constantly rotating my squash around, putting something different in there. And some things are more prone to the bugs and the diseases and yep. your powdered mildew and things like that. So if you're just kind of- That's what I, that, I have yeah. had issues with the powdered mildew. And that is mm-hmm. one of the issues when you plant as intensively as we do with, because you- Yeah. It is we easier to- air flow. We don't the, get the air flow. Yeah. yeah. And, and in small areas, it's easy to get <clears throat> an infestation because you have such a small area. But, you know, that comes back to what you're talking about with feeding the soil and the microbes and yeah. that will help combat that. But yeah, and, and that's where I'm going to be planting my cabbage again. I'm not so much doing it because of disease. I'm planting in a different bed because they are heavy feeders. Mm-hmm. I'm going to plant in actually in the lettuce bed that I just had because lettuce don't feed heavily. Right. So I'm just rotating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's some things that, like I said, they're going to deplete the soil so heavily, but a lot of those things don't, you won't crop rotate anyway. Not in that way. Cause they're going to take the whole season to grow like yeah. tomatoes and peppers and eggplant and yep. things like okra. And I mean, these heavier feeder things, they're, they're going to stay there all season anyway, but there can still be some crop rotation happening because while they're young and they're not producing anything, you can have something in between them that's producing like I do yeah. with my squash or like I do with my tomatoes. I mean, I plant carrots in between my tomatoes and things like that. So you're going to get those early. You get them out of the way by the time that the bushes start thickening up and now you're going to get your tomatoes. So even with those crops, yeah, you got to be careful exactly. not to plant anything with them that's also going to deplete the soil. You want things that are in there that like carrots don't require tons of nutrients to grow. They'll do mm-hmm. well feeding with tomatoes. But also when you're feeding your tomatoes, the extra nutrition isn't going to hurt them either because there are some things that don't like to be fed. So you have yeah. to be careful about that. Say so you don't that's want to put true. something with your tomatoes that if you're dumping a bunch of compost and compost tea on, that it's going to just like not produce good for you because it can't handle that much nutrient as there are yeah. plants like that. I kept killing my lavender because I had put it in my garden where the soil mm-hmm. is amazing. And at least in my experience, Maybe. lavender just likes dry, drier soil that's more sandy. I put it up by the road where it's totally neglected yeah. and the road salt and everything gets on it. That might be a big podcast to do one day. Maybe we just cover all the herbs and vegetables that like bad soil. Yeah. (laughs) For those people who who don't have great soil. Yeah. It went from like this little tiny plant that I started to this huge bush up by the road where it's totally totally neglected, but I killed three of them trying to plant them in my garden. There are several plants like that. They seem to do better when they're neglected and don't have great soil. They don't want the, they don't want you dumping any compost on them. They don't want you watering as regular as you do everything else. They just like, leave me alone. I'll survive. And they do a better job of it. So yeah, there's plants like that, but you want to be careful not to put that into something that you're feeding heavily or that you're, you you just got to think about how you're going to, what you're going to be doing to the soil too. These are just all things to consider. And they're not most things. If you just look up good companion plants for this. You're yeah, going to figure I mean, you out have, the things that are going to do yeah. well with that. Yeah. You don't have to overanalyze this to the point where you get analysis paralysis. Just yeah. start small and start experimenting with it so you can grow more in your little space. One thing I really like about succession planting is that it reduces my overwhelm. <laughs> because I'm telling you, when you get everything in your garden all at once, and now you have to... Yeah. Do something with all that. You have to can it or dry it, preserve it in some way, or just put it up. It's like, wow. It's when it's all at once, you feel that. <laughs> you feel that. And I love it that I can get all season long. I'm just getting in chunks. And then I deal with it as I get it. I can can some now and can some later, dry some now and dry exactly. some later. And that is just it just reduces the overwhelm. And and that's part of the plan too. It's like I want that because. I don't do well with overwhelm. I like to plan it out to where I can do things in chunks because I don't have the time to just put days and days into food preservation. Yeah, I need to I, do a little bit of time. I don't either. As much as I love it and I do it a lot, I try to spread it out as much as I can. I mean, we were talking about that earlier before we even started was yeah. the podcast today was how we, I had 
like two whole days where I didn't have anything that I had to do other than be here and garden and work on the homestead. It's a rare and we thing. were talking about how it will wear <laughs> you out. We yeah. don't even have, I mean, I have my acreage, which I work at on the weekends, but even here on this little small third of an acre, yeah, I could be out. I could be doing something all day long, every day. It will wear I, you out. I love the entire growing season, but I will say yeah. every fall. Yeah. I, I do get a little burned out because yeah, I, I want to spend my time out in the garden, not in the kitchen, preserving things, right, exactly. chopping stuff up. It's, it's just preparing everything to be canned and everything. It's just like when you get a, too much of it at once, it just feels like it's all you do for days. And I just don't enjoy that at all. Now I enjoy it later in the winter time when I'm opening up a big when jar or something it, yeah. and eating it. Yeah. I love having it. So I'm glad I do it, but it, you can definitely reduce that if you can do a little bit throughout Spread the summer as well, yeah. you can knock some of that off. It takes a little bit of that edge off and make it more yeah. doable. And and, and yeah. succession planning definitely contributes to that. It just makes it a better way. And there's just some things that you don't preserve that you eat. You can, through succession planning, you can eat them all season long because if you just plant them once, they're, they go fast. They're done. If you didn't succession plant lettuce, you're eating lettuce for 30 days maybe, and then you're not going to eat it the rest of the year. I mean, you got to yeah. do that. Radish. I love chopping up radishes and putting them in things i like making you ever make hash brown radishes i have they're good really good yeah it takes that taste that stinginess is come goes out of them completely and i think they're better than like a potato hash brown i really really good i've made potato salad with radishes instead of potatoes yeah it's great yeah i love anything there's all kinds of stuff you just do with your radishes it's just awesome so i'm getting to where i used to just make a big i'd plant a bunch of radish get them it's like the first thing you're harvesting out of your garden every year right because they grow so fast and I'd harvest them and I'd be done with them. Well, then I, I figured to, out all these I great ways to eat them and now I want them all year. I need to get better at growing radishes. I have not been. That's right. You have a little bit of trouble with it, don't you? Yeah. Successful with radishes. They, are, they grow sure here. Why. Like I have to be careful when I'm messing around with the seeds because I sprinkle the seeds and I'll kind of just they sprinkle just them around. Grow. And then they end up everywhere and I got them popping up in the pathways and everything else because they grow so, so fast and so easy here. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things I want all year. So succession planning makes it available for me to have without the whole growing season. And I don't just get this one time eating it and then it's done. And squashes and everything. Beans are a thing like that too. It's like, yeah. and I, like yesterday, I just picked a whole bunch of sugar snap peas. Well, now those might be a little more difficult to grow in the heat of summer, but then I can start another crop of those in the fall. I was and just have those in the fall. peas because there's, yeah. your, there's your food that just does not like the heat. They don't like the heat. So, so I got to grow be, that think about, in the summer and in the falls and peas. Yeah. And, and, and you might have to do some microclimate, especially in the fall. You might just consider some beds and kind of create a little microclimate bed for them for the fall because even in fall, it can be a little hot for them. But yeah, I mean, it's just something I like to grow and I love them. I mean, they're my favorite, one of my favorite things to eat like that. But uh, yeah, so there's just a lot of different things that you can do it with. Yep. What you got to do. This is where seed catalogs are your friend. Yes. <laughs> and I will say there's a couple of seed catalogs that are much better about the information they give you. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, you put the link. Johnny one Seeds better ones. has one yeah. of the yeah best catalogs. Their website, but their website is amazing. Yeah. And their catalog has so much information in it. it it's a whole education just in their catalog. I'm including a link to, they have a section on succession planning, but you go to that one section, then down below, there's a bunch of links for more stuff about succession planning. And in there, they have a downloadable Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. That you basically, you put your, you put your last average frost date at the top and then it automatically fills out all these dates of when these maturity dates just, and when you can replant other things with them. It's amazing. Yeah. So if this it, all sounded overwhelming, go to that, that and chart. it'll make you a chart. And yes. that'll and tell you, you exactly print it out what to and, do. Yeah. And you can Boom. put in the stuff you like and, and they have a bunch already pre-filled out in there, but you can even add other things and put the days of maturity on them and they will put, it just fills out automatically for you. And it's, it's amazing. So it's yep. a perfect tool for succession planting. So get have, that. They have a very good website and their catalog yeah. is equally good. I mean, their catalog will tell, it gives you, I don't have one right here. I should have grabbed it, but it tells you the days to maturity and what each plant, like there's specific breeds of tomatoes that are better for drying or better yep. for canning or better for pace. It tells you that yep. about every vegetable. They're, and they're honest about it too. It'll tell you when there's something it is not good for. 
which is what I love right. too. Like yep. it'll say this, this is not ideal for whatever climate or not exactly. ideal for just different things. It will actually, it good and bad. Yeah. yeah. So, which is and important. And then on top of it, they have all of the stuff we were talking about with being able to extend it on top yep. of it. That, yeah. I believe they're where I got my hoop. I got wire hoops instead of the, what do you call them? The poles that are a little bit bigger around mine are just skinny wires. Mine are fiberglass. Um, yeah. I use. Oh, fiberglass. Okay. I used, yeah. I did try PVC, but they did rot pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. In a couple of years, they rotted and broke. So these ones I use are made out of fiberglass. I mean, yeah. they, they probably might even wire in them, but they, yeah, they seem like they're holding up pretty good. Yeah. I think if they were out directly, you got to think they got, they have the rope cover over the top of them. So they get a little yeah. less sun probably beating down mm -hmm. on them. So they seem to hold up pretty good, but, but they have everything there. Like, that you would need for, and I just, on mine, I just use clothespins, but you can buy hoops that have special clips. I don't put anything on them. I just have enough extra that lays over on the ground that I just lay bricks and rocks and things yeah. on it and it holds it down. The bad thing is that you got to go around and remove all of those when it's time to well, slide it over to. that's why I use the clothespins. And yeah. we get a lot of wind that we get wind that tunnels up the side where I mm -hmm. have my row covers this year. So I used the just closed pins yeah from the dollar store. Ways to put Nothing. it down so yeah i mean you're going to find that if you're now you don't have to do that you, there are plenty of things you could grow to where you don't have to get into season extension yep. that it depends on where you live i guess if you live in alaska you're probably going to have to use season extension yeah. and you may not even be able to hardly succession plant too many things if you live where i live you, there's there's a hundred things you can do it with i mean there's just tons and then yeah. a little bit of season extension and you might even get multiple seasons more than two or three even out of some yeah. things like I could probably south, grow, I could probably grow radish about five times. I could grow lettuce. Right. I mean, I can just keep going with it. So, I mean, there's just several things you can do. So, well, and we could probably grow kale year round if we really, really were determined to. Yeah. What I, and that's, and that's something else I wanted to mention too. We were talking about a lot of people will take a lot of leafy greens, especially, and you can extend it by just like say harvesting the outer leaves and letting it grow mm -hmm. and keep doing that. Well, the problem is that lettuce starts getting bitter. It starts, yeah. the quality starts just deteriorating on it, it does. pretty fast when you're just taking cuttings or you're just cutting it and letting it grow back or whatever. And you can definitely get more from it that way, but it's a lot more work because now you're having to get there and be nitpicky, you know, about what you're picking off of it. It's so much quicker to go out there for me to just go down there and cut like five or six plants, throw the entire thing in a bowl, take it in, clean it, eat off of it. Two or three days later, I do the same thing. I ended up taking a row out in about two weeks. I've, I took out a whole row. Yeah. I used to feel bad and about just wasting go plants by doing that, like yeah. cutting them down because they got bitter. But now I realize I'm feeding my compost. Yeah. Or I you put in the compost. Chickens or but whatever. Yeah. I would rather have that fresh stuff. I mean, yeah, I had to get a little bit of seed. Yeah. But then I actually have an area where I just, I have some lettuce growing that I let go to seed every year and I get all the seed I need every and then year you for save free. Your seed. And I yeah. save my seeds. So I have tons of lettuce seed. I don't ever buy lettuce seed. I have tons of it. And and I just keep that going. So I always have a cut. One or two plants that you let go to seed is all the seed you're going to need for the season. I guarantee you. There's tons. Those little pods put off so much seed. It's unreal. <laughs> and radish is the same way. Radish is one of the easiest things to get seed from. I mean, it produces one or two plants. One or two plants will produce all the seed you need for a season easily. Easily. And That's how I have, I, I have not done it with radish or with lettuce, but I have done it with several of my herbs like cilantro and parsley. I mean, I have not bought seeds or dill years. You, you definitely years. want to stay on top of it. You want to get to it before it lets go on its own. Though. Yeah. Especially with radish, because I find that radish going everywhere. Well, that's what cilantro will do here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my word. You will have it everywhere. So I kind of dedicated a couple plants in an area. So I can really pay attention to it and and know when yep. it's ready to, to harvest. Cause like I said, if I get sidetracked for a week or two and next thing I know, all the seeds are gone on their, on their own. They're, they're just planting away. And then they I have, like I said, so. in my paths, I mean, it'll grow in gravel. I had radish growing up in gravel pathways. <laughs> See, I can grow it, but it, it always gets a bug in it. I think it might be white fly. Really? Maybe. I'm what not is sure. It? What kind of bug you think it is? Maybe it's white fly. I don't know. It okay. tunnels it's through possible. it. Oh, interesting. 
some whatever it is tunnels through it or it i let it go too long and it gets woody i think that's what means I let yeah it i i tend to yeah. grow more at a time than i should because i don't eat as, eat it fast enough and then i get a bunch of it that ends up going woody and then so i'm planting new and then i'm throwing that in the compost yeah, so maybe i just need to be better about harvesting it because i think yeah. oh it's just a tiny baby still but it's not it's right. yeah i need to plant it in more like intervals and plant less of it for sure because i tend to not eat it I fast should just enough. plant it right next to my lettuces because just a few of them will go a long way dish or whatever i yeah, mean i just generally I put it in salads unless you're making things like hash browns or something other, you want tons of That's it because you could just make drop tons of them in a well and, shred and, it those, and, and they're low carb which is nice yeah. i was gonna try my hand at fermenting some yeah i've done the the seed pods those are really you good fermented them? yep very really? good you ever eat the radish seed pods I haven't. They're fantastic. It's my favorite part of the radish. <laughs> okay, then. It's my favorite part. I love so the seed pods. This morning, I probably planted, I planted a few hundred seeds, but I did not plant any radishes. I think I'm going to go out and start some radish seeds. Now yeah, let, let a few go, let, let a few go to, to seed. And when the seed pods are really young and they're really tender, pick a bunch of those and eat them. And it's like, you get that mild radish taste mm. and a crunch. That's just great. That They're fantastic. Amazing. And then you can ferment those, ferment them or pickle them or however you want to do it. There you can, people just pickle them even, and they make, they're fantastic. Yeah. Somebody even turned me on to radish leaf, radish leaf pesto. I have made carrot leaf pesto, but now, radish leaf pesto gives you that little bit of a radish tang in a pesto, which is fantastic. Yummy. And I just tried that this year for the first time, and that was really good. So, yeah. I think, just, yeah. I've we're going to turn this into a radish pet. Yeah, podcast. we are going to turn it into a radish. <laughs> I want, to, yeah. So, I have one of the things that I planted, I start planting like my tea gardens this mm. too. So, I do those in succession because one of my favorite is Tulsi. Tulsi. Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. Which is basil. That. And basil. Oh, that's a basil. Okay. Basil is a pretty it doesn't last very long. Right. Once it, it goes to seed pretty quickly. And so I plant several every couple of weeks. I plant those. So I have Do tea. You really? Okay. I love it. I love it. It's a different flavor and I like it. And I add that to rose petals. I tend to grow it more as a companion plant than I do for the use because I don't use a lot of basil. And, okay. But it's a fantastic companion plant. For like pests control and things like it that is, and, and things like that. So I plant a lot of it for that and it looks this, nice and it grows really good so too. Tulsi so. basil doesn't taste a lot like your cold. Yeah, I've never even, I don't know, yeah. like there's a couple of kinds of standard basils that I, and I'm not, it's okay. I'm not a huge yeah. fan. What was it? Somebody told me about. I'm like growing a, three different kinds. I'm growing the Tulsi, the purple and the. Somebody green. told me like about a, like a chocolate mint basil oh, or something. Yeah, and I was, they were telling me about some different kinds of basil, and I was like, man, I might have to try some of that. That sounds interesting. Do you ever do the basil leaf with the mozzarella and then the sliced tomatoes, and then you drizzle it with olive oil and put it in the oven? No, but you talked me into it. Oh, it is good. It is really <laughs> that sounds really good. good. Could be because I'm Every hungry. Every year when the tomatoes and the basils are, <laughs> basil is ripe at the same time, we're like, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I've tried that. Yeah, that does sound good. I'm sure there's a name for it because I think there is a name for what that's called, but it's just sliced fresh tomato with uh, some basil and mozzarella, a little bit of salt and some olive oil. Sounds delicious. I mean, I like all those things, so oh. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> it's to die for. It's really good. Well, see, folks, benefits to succession planting, the culinary benefits. You'll get this stuff. All throughout the year, you can keep trying it, try new things with fresh. Because there's a lot of things you cook in dishes fresh that you can't grab the preserved stuff to do it with. You need it fresh. Yeah. Now, how you keep fresh is keep planting it, <laughs> keep it growing. So so I will definitely want to turn you on to Johnny Seed for all their great information. I want to tell you pretty much any book that we've discussed in the past that has to do anything with market gardening is going to have yeah. great advice for crop rotation, for feeding the soil, for just maintaining it and harvesting it on a regular succession basis like that. So any of those books are going to be great for you. Elliot Coleman, you mentioned. Jesse Frost. Jesse Frost book. That's a great, the Living Soil Handbook is yeah. what that's called. And then there's, that's uh, a great John one. John yeah. Fortier. I'm yep, sure yep. I'm saying that um, wrong. I mean, there's just all Fortier, of those market yeah. gardeners. They have great YouTube channels that yep. probably have some information on there too. 
Yeah, great stuff. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Lean to, if you want more information on succession planting, <laughs> the word's getting harder as I go. Too many times. Yeah, look to those sources. We'll put some links in the show notes for a few of those options. And uh, yeah, check out the books we recommended today. And uh, you have anything else, Rachel? I think that's it. Well, we appreciate you folks joining us this week. And until next time, happy homesteading. God bless. And grow where you're planted. Looking around, I finally see, I think I need a change. The rat race I want to flee, my world I'll rearrange. I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be. Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free. It's a modern homestead. Build a modern homestead. A lot of folks don't understand why I wanna live this way. They've never eaten from their land like we do here every Like Grandma did, sitting on her front porch, hunting and fishing like a kid. Once you've done all of your chores, it's a modern homestead. Build a modern homestead. Country or city, there's a way to make this change. You got. Today